looking around with constraint, and yet crossly and uneasily. "'Well then, come into my room,' said Oblonsky, who knew his friend's self-conscious and irritable shyness, and seizing him by the arm, he led him along as if past some danger. Levin was almost of the same age as Oblonsky. Their intimacy did not rest merely on champagne. Levin had been the friend and companion of his early youth— They were fond of one another in spite of the difference of their characters and tastes, as friends are fond of one another who have been together in early youth. Oblonsky could not restrain a slight mocking smile at the sight of Levin. Levin arrived in Moscow always excited and in a hurry, rather ill at ease, and usually with totally new and unexpected views about things. Oblonsky laughed at all this, and yet liked it. Similarly, Levin in his heart despised the town life his friend was leading, and his official duties which he considered futile and ridiculed. But the difference was that Oblonsky, doing as everyone else did, laughed with confidence and good humour, while Levin laughed uncertainly and sometimes angrily. "'Where shall we see one another? You know, it's very, very important for me to have a talk with you,' said Levin. Oblonsky seemed to consider. "'Well,' "'Suppose we go to lunch at Gurin's and have a talk there. "'I'm free until three. "'No,' said Levin, after a moment's consideration. "'I have to go somewhere else.' "'Well, then, let's dine together.' "'Dine? "'But I've nothing particular to say, only a word or two, to ask you something. "'We can have a talk some other time. "'Well, tell me the word or two now, and we'll talk at dinner.' "'The two words are—' However, it's nothing in particular, said Levin, and his face became almost vicious in his efforts to overcome his shyness. What are the Shabatskys doing? All going on as usual? Oblonsky, who had long known that Levin was in love with his, Oblonsky's sister-in-law, Kitty, smiled very slightly, and his eyes sparkled merrily. Well, you know, I'd ask you to come to us, but my wife's not very well. Let's see... If you want to meet them, you'll be sure to find them in the zoological gardens from four to five. Kitty skates there. Go there, and I'll call for you, and we'll dine somewhere together. Splendid. Well then, au revoir. Mind you, don't forget. I know you. You may rush off back to the country. Oblonsky shouted after him. When Oblonsky asked Levin what had brought him to town, Levin blushed, and was furious with himself for blushing because he could not answer... I've come to make your sister-in-law an offer, though that was precisely what he had come for. In his student days, he had all but been in love with Dolly himself, but she was soon married to Oblonsky. Then he began being in love with her sister Kitty. He felt, as it were, that he had been in love with one of the sisters, only he could not quite make out which. After spending two months in a state of enchantment, seeing Kitty almost every day in society, he abruptly decided that it could not be, and went back to the country. Levin's conviction that it could not be was founded on the idea that in the eyes of her family he was a disadvantageous and worthless match for the charming Kitty, but after spending two months alone in the country he was convinced that he could not live without deciding the question, would she or would she not be his wife, and he had now come to Moscow with a firm determination to make an offer and get married if he were accepted, or he could not conceive what would become of him if he were rejected. At four o'clock that afternoon, Levin, conscious that his heart was beating rapidly, 
got out of the hired sledge at the zoological gardens and went down the path leading to the ice hills and skating lake, sure of finding Kitty there, for he had noticed the Shabatsky's carriage at the entrance. A few more steps brought him to the skating lake, and among all the skaters he at once recognised her. He knew she was there by the joy and terror that took possession of his heart. She was turning a corner, her little feet shod in high boots kept close together, and she was skating timidly towards him. She was not very firm on her feet. Having drawn her hands from the muff that hung by a cord from her neck, she held them out, and looking at Levin, whom she had recognised, she smiled at him and at her fears. She was more beautiful than he had imagined her. When he thought about her, he could vividly picture to himself her entire person, and especially the charm of her small, fair-haired head, so lightly poised on the shapely girlish shoulders, and the childlike brightness and kindness of her face. In that childlike look, combined with the slim beauty of her figure, lay her special charm, and this he thoroughly appreciated.